Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Top Gun Maverick, starring Tom Cruise, Miles Teller, Jennifer Connelly, John Hamm, Glenn Powell, story by Peter Craig and Justin Marks, screenplay by Aaron Kruger, Eric Warren Singer, and Christopher McQuarrie, and directed by Joseph Kaczynski. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time to do uh, some small batch film review right in the thick of the summer movie season, and the oft-delayed, oh man, what was it, like five or six times uh, due to COVID and additional filming requirements finally came out Top Gun Maverick, uh, the sequel to 1986's uh, Top Gun. Uh, I think I did the math, uh, Matt, uh, was 34 years. I tried to see, was that the longest like wait from like sequel to uh, from original? And there's a few other films that got to beat, but that's a long time to be waiting around for a sequel, wouldn't you say? Long time and lots of starts and, and stops. And not only with the COVID release for the last 20 years, it's been rumored and started and stopped. And then things happen with Tony Scott. So yeah, this thing has been um, in Devo hell more than Wonder Woman was the first time around. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What are you calling from an F-16 up there? What, what, what do you got? Are you, you tracing the skies right now? <laughs> so for everybody, it sounds a little bit weird. We're doing this remote. Jesse's at home and I am not. So we're drinking today, but I'm taking some flavors in the local culture. I'm trying a Cubra Libre. Ooh, look at you. And I might, poss- I might possibly have a banana daiquiri in a little while. The second part is a joke, obviously making fun of the Godfather, but <laughs> I am not at home. I'm in Florida, so we're doing this remote. So carve some time out of the vacation to keep our listeners entertained. That's what we'll do on Rice Smile Films, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, I opened up a new bottle today. Um, be, what do you got going? Be, um Really want you to try this one. This is Kentucky Owl presents the Wise Man. Uh, this is Kentucky Straight Rye Whiskey, but yeah. I love the bottle. Like the bottle, like is like has like a dollar, like the like the material that's like on money, like a dollar. It's like that kind of design. So oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, I've never seen that one before, and I think it was like forty three, forty two dollars. So yeah. not bad. And for a rye, it's it's got a little spice, but it doesn't linger. It's got a nice smooth back end. Hmm. Excellent. Well, kind of like an F fourteen Tomcat, a smooth back end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So before you switch from guns to missiles, what do you say we dive right in head first uh, to our review breakdown of Top Gun Maverick? Well, away we go. Alrighty, Top Gun Maverick. I just got to say, just right off the bat, from just like the opening Paramount scrawl, opening credits, I really liked it. Um, I really mm-hmm. liked that it was an exact duplication of the original's opening credits from Harold Faltemeyer's Top Gun Anthem to the font is exact to the original film. 
And yep. even seeing like Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer present, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is wild. And then they yeah. even had that same, it, back in 1969, they created a, a school to teach the the pilots of the world the secret art of combat uh, uh, aerial fighting. Uh, the mm-hmm. pilots called it this, the or the people called it that, the pilots called it Top Gun. I thought that was really great to just really bring that back around again. I did too. It's a great opening. And you know what I'm really interested to see? Mm-hmm is what enlistment looks like in the armed forces. Cause I know they had a I thought about, huge, I, huge increase after the first one. And this is just as cool. So I, th- we'll I, th- I thought about that too. I thought I was like, yeah, 86 post top gun, uh, top gun 86 was the biggest movie of that year. Uh, oh. and there was, he yeah, had this huge, just enlistment into service. Yeah. I'll be curious to see if there's this kind of knack to kind of get into that again. If people want want to go the route of Top Gun, I mean, that's a lot of really hard work to get to where these pilots are. But what a great way to start the film and really uh, brings that nostalgic trip back. And so once they get to the aircraft carrier and everyone's names are popping up and that Top Gun anthem's playing, I was like, oh, this is great. And then that ends and then boom, right into Danger Zone. And then we're like in the skies again. And I was like, I'm on board. Like, this is this is great. Mm-hmm. It was it was the right amount of nostalgia, and I think I will talk about this a lot. I think in the episode is this is one of those legacy sequels. Legacy, I put in quotes of bringing back the old, introducing the new, essentially reworking the formula with the same ingredients, but like a different salad. <laughs> if that makes any sense? Really well said. Yeah, really well said. Yeah, and, um, I, and I think this is you know it's proved failure and success with some franchises i think you know the force awakens was an okay venture into this similar territory you know halloween kills dabbled into this a little bit well to some crazy results uh yeah i don't think it's for for every franchise but i don't know maybe top gun had the right amount of nostalgia that was just being uh was ready to be tapped into here's one of the things that has this franchise has going for it Mm -hmm. where it's not precipitated on the supernatural or the fiction from science. It's a derivative of actual hard combat. Mm -hmm. So I think that alone creates a timeless legacy that endures for multiple generations. That being said, I put that theory to test because we went to see the new one. We watched the original with my daughter Mm -hmm. and she was into it. Yeah. But I have to say, I think she was more into the second one for a number of reasons, which I'm sure we'll get into the film or maybe not. We'll, we'll talk about the differences, I'm sure, as the, as the show goes on. Mm-hmm. But that's actually people doing what people really do. It's yeah. not a red magic cloak and the eye of Agamotto and yeah. all of this. It, honestly, Jesse, you know, it's funny that you brought up the word legacy because I think there's a dueling legacy in filmdom right now, and that is anything Marvel does versus everything else. Sure. Yeah. And not that standalone films don't work, but as there is always discussion in the producer's room or behind closed doors about how franchisable this is. Sometimes it's just, it isn't, Mm -hmm. but with action or large thriller kind of pieces, such as this one we're about to get into, that's always a discussion because I think the buy-in and the believability mm-hmm. in this franchise 
far exceeds that that they've done in Marvel. Sure. Yeah. And, and the legacy then is, is generational. Mm-hmm. I mean, let me ask you a question. Okay. So, yeah. you know, if you were to go and take, let's say, let's say you gave your mom and dad two offers, right? You said, all right, mom, dad, we're going to see a movie this weekend. Yeah. And we can either go see Top Gun Maverick or we can go see Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. And there were three votes for each round, you, your mom, and your dad for one, and you, your vote, your mom, and dad for the other. Yeah. What do you think the score would be on votes for one to two. Top Gun versus <laughs> one yeah, to two? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I would have to say, even if you put the vote in for Multiverse of Madness and you lost, yeah. I don't think you'd be disappointed going to this. Well, I think also, too, I mean, there's so much homework that goes into seeing something like Multiverse of Madness at this point where yeah. I would yeah. recommend, I was like, you know what, you'll probably have a better time with Top Gun Maverick because there's less <laughs> back-end research you have to do. With yep. Doctor Strange, you gotta you gotta kind of know your stuff a little bit. You can't just go into that blind. So this is a much better recommendation. And I want to ask you this because you know the numbers came in from the the grosses this weekend, and it was like Huge. 150 plus for the four days, which is I that might be a Memorial Day record. I'll have to check that, but it's definitely Tom Cruise's his biggest opening, also ever. Yeah, his biggest opening, besting I think War of the Worlds. So yeah, that's Crazy. huge. That's huge numbers. It's got really good appeal, and I think the 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 good reviews really helped this movie out too. Like it it, it was sure. in the high nineties on Rotten Tomatoes. So that's pretty like oh, man, the Top Gun sequel is actually good. Like I think that gets yeah. people interested. But let me ask yeah. you this: I've been dying to bring this up. Do you think maybe we undervalued the pop culture appeal of the original Top Gun? Because I I I almost want to say yes. For, you know, I hadn't thought about that until you said it because I do think that that movie is held in pretty high regard. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to have to tell you right now, the numbers would seem to say that yes, we did. I think so. I mean, I never. This was a sequel that I I like never clamored for, and if it came, yeah. sure, yeah, I'll go see it. But I wasn't like, please make Top Gun Part Two. Um, but I think just yeah, the appeal of that one and uh going to see that on dates back in 86 and people passing that down onto their kids and then their kids and they're the ones going to see this movie. Um, yeah, maybe it has a, a bigger pop culture footprint than I think we gave it credit for in that episode we did, I think almost two years I ago. I think now. you're right. Yeah. But let's well, everybody like everybody's seen Top Gun and like, let's sure. be honest about this. Uh, the reviews between you and I were not exactly the same. I was lukewarm on it. Um, I just, there's a lot of cheese in that movie for me. It's mm-hmm. still entertaining, but I didn't love it as much as, as maybe you did, or maybe some others. That's to be said, I didn't hate it either, mm-hmm. but yeah, when it finished, I don't think at, you know, 13, 14 years old, I was in a place where I said, Oh my God, I can't wait for the sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what, what I, I underestimated is a, a two fronted attack. And one is the appeal that this film had, specifically to the female movie going audience. Yeah. It feels mm-hmm. hyper masculine. Oh, but yeah. when you get down and peel back that onion a little bit, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, how can I say this? Eye candy in that film. Yeah. And enough of a romance angle that plays to a quadrant tent pole film. And secondarily, oh, yeah, top top, the original top gun might be the most perfect four quadrant film that's ever existed. Might be. Yeah. Might be. And the second thing on that is, it is something that is 
family friendly enough then and now Mm -hmm. to continue to have this wide appeal that you and I underestimated. You know, we, we do that a lot. Yeah. We talk about 18 to 35 year olds a lot, don't we? Mm -hmm. And most of the time, you know who we neglect? The boomers. Everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody else. Yeah. (laughs) Which I'm being sort of facetious, but yeah, boomers. Yeah. And that's exactly right. And that's who went with us today. We've seen it twice now. I saw it once and we saw it again today. Okay. Excellent. Um, so my my theater had like this, like, uh, like aroma of like old spice floating in like the, (laughs) the air of of like, uh, the, just like whatever, like the aftershave of people putting on, there was just like a certain smell that I did. It wasn't terrible, but like, you could just tell like a certain person of a certain age smells like that. So I was, I was totally okay with it, but no, yeah, maybe time was the solution to this particular franchise. Um, I'll be interested to kind of talk about the other elements and how, how those kind of play in, but Let's talk about the big one, Mr. Tom Cruise, uh, Thomas Cruise Mathertha, uh, the fourth, I believe is his real name. <laughs> um, uh, Captain Pete Mitchell catching up with him 34 years later. And I still like that he's still into motorcycles, bomber jackets and aviators. I mean, like that part of him, like certainly hasn't changed. And right. this kind of natural progression through flying that he's at right now. I mean, if he was like top ace uh, back in 86, now he's kind of assumed this like test project with NASA to break this speed barrier with this, with this plane. It seems like a natural progression for his character, but what I did really appreciate was that some things old habits die hard, right? He's still the same push it too far full of himself, Pete Mitchell, that this is the guy that's doing the flybys on the, the, the carrier, right? That when he's not allowed to do so or, or right. give him the bird, right? Give him the bird, but the yep. bird goose, it's the same guy, but just older, but that part hasn't matured. I thought that was very fascinating. I also really like that they've stalled him out mm-hmm. at major. No so, captain, I think, right? Was it captain? Captain, you're right. Not even major captain. Yeah. We're talking really low level commissioned officer, the place where those that just can't cut it go to die. Mm-hmm. And it's not uncommon to spend a lot of time at that rank. I did some research on this, mostly talking to my father-in-law. Yeah. He's a colonel in the air force. So I learned a little bit about the rank today. <clears throat> That's where a lot of people go. But in the case of Pete Mitchell, two things, he stalled out at that level and they've kind of stashed him away in an off grid project yeah. that, is isolated enough where he can't get into too much trouble. And it almost feels slightly irrelevant, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, they're, they're closing it down that day, right? I mean, Ed Harris is showing up, uh, showing up and first of all, man, Ed Harris is looking old. <laughs> he sure is. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's coming down to shut down this project that uh, there, there will be no more tests to get it to Mach nine. So his solution is, well, yep. we're pushing it to 10 today. And they go out, they go out and do it. I don't know, kind of like this, like almost like this, like stealth jet. But once they they get it to Mach 10, I guess maybe this will be the fastest, uh, you know, recorded plane, you know, ever. Yep. And whatever research that's going to fuel for NASA and space flight, whatever. But, you know, they do it. I mean, it's the, just his ability, his tenacity in the cockpit. I mean, he's second to none as far as this film shows us. But then that, little part of him that you know hubris in him 
is like, well, I'm going to push it to 10.1, 10.2. And then what happens is the, he blows up the whole, this probably like $10 million ship, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like that. I thought this was a great opening and you know what? I thought it, it was a perfect parallel. Um, I don't want to, this is not a remake. This is, this is still a sequel, but this opening was very similar to how the original starts out, which is him and goose, you know, flying this mission. And then they have to help out Merlin and Tim Robbins who are kind of, you know, they, they get stuck in a little dog fight and then they flip the bird um, but they get scolded for that. I mean, and Cruz gets scolded for this as well, but what's the kind of solution at the end of that? In the original, it's you've been accepted to Top Gun, and in this one, it's we're going to have you go teach at Top Gun, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I kind of like that they're, they're, they're very similar openings, but with uh, they're just done in very different ways. That's the, the, the appropriate way to do that in these legacy sequels, I guess. You know, the funny thing that I kept thinking about today the second time through was how the title of this film could have been Top Gun, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. <laughs> because that's what I, what I mean by that is not that Nick Cage needed to make an appearance, but that's the unbearable weight that, that Maverick feels, that, that Mitchell, Pete Mitchell feels in this. Yeah, It's really clear through the first one and even in the second one right off the bat that he's very quick on his feet. He's naturally reacting in the air. He has good instincts but he's also able to endure the pull of the G's on him and the physical demands that it takes to fly. The problem is everything else out of the cockpit. Mm -hmm. And so the unbearable weight of massive talent for him is here is this decorated career that stalled out at low level commissioned officer because he can't follow the rules enough to play by what the military deems appropriate. Mm -hmm. And that's really a tough position to be in. Cause think about that. Mm -hmm. Here's this guy you can tell is so immensely gifted and talented. And it's not even that he's sassy. It's just, he's kind of in that very Tom Cruise capable of pulling us off an entirely believable mm -hmm. rebellious, um, gesture ish, mischievous, I'm not trying to sound too Loki like here. No, 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 no. I, that, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's what, the, this what, almost, him and it, it goes from like, the, I think the way he's handled women yeah, to the way he's handled the brass. However, there's one important piece and we'll give it to you here. What it doesn't seem to affect is not only his work in the cockpit, but also the legacy of friendship that he's formed with the few that we see. And that includes goose mm -hmm. rest in peace. Mm -hmm. And also ice when we see him a little bit later as well. Yeah. I think so. I think it's an aura of arrogance that's just followed him from job to job. And yeah, they've snuck him away to this blacklist project over here and they're kind of trying to phase him out. Right. I mean, it's like a form of ageism through the military. And in this instance, I don't think he really has like a choice, right? If they say you're grounded, I think that's it for him. And I think that really scares him because not to get too searcher searchers e, but what does domestic life look for Pete Mitchell if he's not in a cockpit? I mean, that'll probably spin him out, right? I mean, even in the end, at the end of the film, he's still flying like his, this a, a version of a plane, right? Yep. So I think I think he'll be lost without that or some some form of it. So I think that that really troubles him. And then the crux of it is okay, you're gonna go to Top Gun. You're gonna we'll get into this this mission that they're planning and have to prepare for but he knows what awaits him there it's a lot of legacy right i mean his buddy uh iceman uh kazansky 
Val Kilmer, uh, I guess is in charge of the entire Pacific fleet at this point in the story. And through his recommendation, um, you know, they were bitter rivals in that last film, but, you know, made up at the end has recommended him for this, this assignment. I, I almost freaked out in the theater, Matt, because, you know, him and Icer, I like how he's ice in his phone contact, right? Uh-huh. I, uh, they, they were communicating back and forth, and I was like, okay, where, where's this going? Um, and we'll get to that later, but if it was had just been this, like, texting kind of back and forth, it was it was bringing up images of, of uh, you remember in The Amazing Spider-Man 2 when he's just communicating with Jameson over, uh, over like email. And I was like, is this really how we're doing the character now? Yeah. yeah but, we, but yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that a, a little bit later, but what awaits him here is all these new recruits. They're, they're kind of getting the best of the best from all, all around all the different, you know, parts of the air force. And you got to pick your team. You got to pick, you know, these four or five people. Um, but one of them is, uh, Let's get the names right. Uh, it's uh, Miles Teller as Bradley Bradshaw, code name Rooster. It's kind of perfect. Rooster, yeah, Rooster. it's perfect, right? Rooster to goose. Uh, yep. Uh, that he's uh, one of the recruits that's been that's been picked, and kind of without really kind of really getting into it uh, too too early. There's some bad blood here. Um, has a lot to do with how his father died out and the ramifications after that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we're setting up some, I think, some interesting conflicts here. Let's talk about the mission real quick, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get to that bar scene. But the mission is, and I thought John Hamm was really good in this movie, too. I was like, where's this guy that needs to show up in more things, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's this unsanctioned uranium plant somewhere in whatever mountain range, and, you know, they got to go take it out. And it's really hard. It's almost like the Death Star of mission plans, right? I mean, they got to they gotta blow off the this, like, ventilation cover and then get a missile to go into there. And then what's really the hard part is the escape, right? I mean, it's this very steep ascent that you're going to pull nearly 9 Gs doing it. If you don't yep. pass out, you'll hit the thing. But then when you're above radar zone, the SAM surface-to-air missiles will be on your tail. So it's kind of like a suicide mission is essentially how it's pitched to him. But if you can find a way Maverick, uh, this is, we don't want you to be in the mission. We need you to teach the people how to do the mission. Um, I have a pro and con with, with, with this, this mission, the, the con is it's, it's, it visually when, when we get to it, it, it's kind of a little, a little strange. It almost reminds me of like a James Bond hideout. (laughs) like a Blofeld hideout in the mountains uh, is kind of like how it was set up like that. But the thing that I really like about it, and this had to have been intentional, we're never told where this is at. If this is supposed right. to be Russia, North Korea, the Middle East, wherever, you know what I mean? And I thought that was like a fairly ingenious way to go about the conflict. I mean, now this Top Gun Maverick doesn't have to be labeled as, oh, the the North Korea movie, you know what I mean? Right. It's kind of like a faceless villain, but we get it, right? I mean, there's conflict. And I, I was I was okay with that. I thought that was actually a genius move on their part. Yeah, it was. And by not naming that villain, you don't put yourself at odds with any film going bases that want to see it. So yep. that was really smart. Mm-hmm. But you alluded to something earlier too, which I, you know, I thought the same as well. Not only is 
this essentially the Death Star mission to blow it up. Yeah. But to get to the Death Star mission, it's going through the trench as well. Yes. I mean, it is literally through. Uh, uh, literally a trench, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's subtly done, but it's very smart because, you know, I think you can say in all of Star Wars, that's got to be one of the top two or three action bits in all of Star Wars, all nine films. Oh, yeah. That's, that's the, the high- Death Star trench mm-hmm. bit. It's, it's huge yeah. in, in New Hope, right? Mm-hmm. So let's take something that works, which is a franchise that's Top Gun, and let's reimagine it for a newer generation, but keep the old players still in there and just age them appropriately. And then what else works? Mm-hmm. Well, let's find a villain that's kind of faceless. I don't know, like Stormtrooper. So we'll just say, okay, we've got kind of a, a just general bad guy. And then have him blow up the trench, which hinges on flying below the missile systems, which is just what happens at the Death Star. Mm-hmm. And then a, an impossible shot through an air conditioning duct yep. to destroy it. It's crazy. It's the same thing, but so smart. Yeah. Even, even when they're just pitching the plan, I'm, I'm just kind of forecasting. I was like, even when they're going to do it, I was like, something's going to malfunction on one of these planes and it's going to make it just a little bit harder. And that's essentially what happened with the guidance system. Uh, oh, yeah. Like the, the laser targeting, but yeah, the, the, the premise is good, and so when they're pitching it, you're trying to like visualize how this is going to play out, and once they start their exercises, it makes a whole lot more sense visually. But, yeah, he comes back. I mean, he's, he's, he looks the same, other than like just a few few more years of age on Tom Cruise. I mean, it's just like the same character from 86, right? Yeah. It's crazy, and so he strolls up to this bar. This looks kind of like the naval shanty bar for all the na- naval fighter pilots and, and whatnot, and the hard deck. Yeah, yeah. We get a lot packed into this this scene here, and this kind of takes us, I kind of say, to maybe the end of Act 1 uh, of, yeah. of the film, but it kind of introduces the rest of the players. This first one, um, this is Jennifer Connelly as Penelope Penny Benjamin, a rekindled love interest of sorts. It looks like they've had a, a past, and... You know, you you and I have been both very positive with Jennifer Connelly in 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 the past, and I think this is a good upgrade for for Pete Mitchell, um, especially yeah. however old Tom Cruise is fifty five, fifty seven. I think he's fifty seven. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is a good kind of counterpoint for him. Uh, now I I will say this, and then I kind of just want to hear your 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 take on it. The film ends up having to juggle quite a bit throughout the rest of this film, this relationship with Rooster, the training of the mission, the actual doing of the mission, bringing Iceman back into the fold. Um, and then they, they put in this love story as well. I think, I think it works sometimes, the, the, this love story uh, portion. I think this is really good. And then their date scene when he, they sealed the deal, I thought was a really good scene too. But then, you know, she kind of disappears and, I kind of wanted more of that if they were willing to dive in a little bit more, but then this movie would have also been two hours and 40 minutes. So if there was a plot right. casualty, I think this was maybe one of them. And it's a shame. Cause I, I honestly would have, would have wanted more of it. Yeah, I think that's fair. There's a lot that they're trying to pack in. And the question is, do you want to see him and his, his, uh, students, flying planes or do you want to see him flying her? Uh And 
I guess we get enough of the backstory to where I care about their relationship enough to, I think, flesh him out and show a maturation. Yeah. It's not a lot we were going to get from Penny. We know she owns the bar. We know that they've had at least a couple go rounds because she said, we always do this and it always ends badly. That seems to be plural. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they've been around the block a few times together and they don't seem to want to do it again. Um, she has a child, she's divorced. We get enough backstory to know that there has been issues in the past, but with the exception of ice, who hasn't there been issues in the past with Maverick in this film? So it's consistent in that regard. And you're right. They could dive in there and make it a little bit longer film and flesh her out enough. She, she's kind of thrown away and I don't want to say thrown away because that's, that sounds um, disrespectful and dismissive. They don't, there's just, there's just not time. She, she's, she's his foil. Yeah. To show an agedness on the side of good. Like it's finally time for Pete Mm -hmm. to stop doing the fly by the tower, buzzing the tower. It's time for him to finally chill out. And some of it has to do with what you said. Mm Mm-hmm. I get out of the cockpit and settle down. Does that mean I'm going to, I'm, I'm dead. Yeah. I'm not getting in that rocking chair. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why that, that bit with ice gets to be really important too. But yeah, you're right. That, I don't, I don't disagree. That could be fleshed out more. However, um, I, I think it's you, not I, a deal think, breaker for me yet. Yeah. I think, I think you, you, you say, yeah, it's not a deal breaker for me. It's, it's just, if there was a casualty in this film, I think this was kind of the, the one that I walked away with was, just kind of felt that it was there, it was good, but then it starts jumping to the other stuff, which when I when I left, I was like, well, where do I want the conflict to go through? Do I want it to go through him and Penelope? Probably not, because that was the last movie. Right. Do I want it to go right. through him and Ice? Probably not, because, you know, that's... That he's not. Movie. It was also the last movie. I want it to go through him and Rooster, right? Because that's the unresolved aspect that gives this new version a sense of freshness. Um well, have, have you, you just t- took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. I was going to ask you, would yeah. you rather this be watching the external conflict be or internal conflict between love between him and Pilly, him and Penny yeah. or forgiveness between him and Goose's son? And yeah. I think I'm with you a hundred percent. I'm not, I don't even think I'm for sure with you a hundred percent on the answer there. Yeah. I think they, I think they take the, uh, the appropriate route and this stuff is here and it's, you know, it's servicing the, the film pretty good, but the yeah. introduction of the, the rest of the, the pilots here, I thought this was a, a pretty good strength too. I thought all these people were fairly well put together. Um, Glenn Powell as Hangman, Lewis Pullman as Bob. I like how his call sign was just Bob. Yeah. Uh, Monica Barbaro as Phoenix, uh, and there's a few other ones: Payback, Fanboy, Coyote. All great names. I don't even know what my flyby name would be, but <laughs> they, they they all pick some really good ones. But I think they're all fairly descript characters. I think. Um, you know, you got your hothead, you got your, you know, your ace, you got the people that are kind of willing to push the envelopes. You got your brainiacs. Uh, I think they assemble a pretty good team here. So once they finally get assembled and put together, I'm willing to go with that. I'm willing to kind of see who, who kind of rises from these ranks to help out this mission. What'd you kind of think of the new blood? (laughs) Yeah. Um, once they're brought back, uh, there's 12 of them that are brought back and you kind of get the idea early on these six featured are going to be the, the six that survive the call or the cuts, if you will. Yeah. Um, 
And I think the other part in this that's really, really working is, although maybe Coyote and Payback are a little bit uh, understated, Mm -hmm. there's four that you really do care about. The four you really do care about are Hangman and Rooster and Phoenix and Bob. Yeah. Because those are going to be the ones we spend the majority of time in the plane with. And those four, I think, each have a distinct character trait. Bob's yeah. very cerebral. Mm-hmm. Rooster seems to be quite cautious. Yeah. Hangman's a bit like Maverick. And Phoenix <clears throat> seems to be the most strategic of the four. Yeah. So we talk about assembling teams from time to time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, what role do they have that's really important? That team that we just mentioned is going to be the majority of the team that he uses. There's some other pieces in there, but that's the majority of it. And I think you start to flesh out an uncommon group with uncommon skills that are going to have to come together in order for this, uh, this, like you said, suicide mission to have any chance at all of working. So yeah, they, it's, it's they set them up really good done, too. Done quickly too. Yeah. Really quick. It's like, it's this bar scene. And I think like once that scene ended, I think we got it. Uh, to the point where you kind of want them to make it through the end of this thing. You don't really want to see anyone bite the bullet uh, in this mission. So that's just very well done. That's very well thought out characters. It's well performed. Uh, You and I better get used to seeing Lewis Pullman. Uh, He's, he's playing Ben Mears in the Salem's lot remake. Oh, really? Yeah. Bill Pullman's son. How about that? Exactly. And yeah, Glenn Powell, who I've, I've been a fan of from just TV shows and a few films great to see him in this and you know what role i thought he would be excellent at if he gets the opportunity because he's kind of he's waiting for his like big movie uh i think he'd be a good scott summer cyclops in this inevitable x-men reboot yeah oh yeah you're right that would be good Mm -hmm. i'm I'm with you yeah he does look the part yep but that's the team but the one we really kind of care about here is is rooster and you know tom cruise won't even like he looks the other way when he enters the room and Man, they gave him like an identical Anthony Edwards mustache. It was pretty great. He looked a lot like him. It was kind of scary. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, he's he's good. He's he knows the the things. But yeah, there's an unspoken conflict between these two, and we're just kind of waiting for that to like explode in our faces. But I thought this yeah. was this was kind of a good nod to kind of just show the trauma of. Yeah, I don't think Maverick's ever gotten over Goose's demise. Not even in the '86 film, and then. 34 years later, he still hasn't, he still carries that pretty heavy on his, on his shoulders. When he, they start playing, um, Jerry Lee Lewis's great balls of fire on the thing. And it was like a cut to that moment that they did in the original film, playing that on the piano. The sun was on the piano and it is kind of like a skill he's taken up and man, it, it really, it really hits Maverick hard, right? Yeah, and you know what I really appreciate with that is how organic that was because they flash back to the scene and the kid sitting on the piano, which I'm sure when they wrote the original <laughs> Top Gun, and I know they had to have discussions about going forward, they had no idea that's where it was going to be later going <laughs> sure. this way. But it just naturally fit really well, right? Yeah. Because he's playing that song. That's great screenwriting, Jesse. That's mm-hmm. not having to put a fucking post credit scene or a mid movies, this and that, or Easter eggs for all us dorky fanboys to get on the internet and mm-hmm. oh look, the letters on the license plate spell Viper. 
Vipers, the Red Skulls, dot blah, fuck off, whatever. No, yeah. it just was natural and organic. Who's that beat? And it fit beat, right beat, in seamlessly. Yeah, that beatbox uh, caterpillar at the end of Shazam. It was just like, okay, who's that? <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You get to the point where you're trying to be too teasy and Easter eggy that, you know, you could just kind of slide it in there and have it be just organically part of the plot. Um, but it's a nice callback. Um, it's uh, it, it works well and it, it sets up that character really well too but now now we get to it we get to the actual training and testing the metal of these pilots who think they're already hot shit but i kind of liked how maverick entered this meeting and everyone was already kind of grown and like i think the rumors of uh, captain pete mitchell have been circulating around the military for some time right if everyone's reacting the same way yep and he plays the room really good. So I, I, I kind of thought I was like, man, Maverick needs a win here. I was like, everyone's doubting him. Everyone's talking shit. Everyone thinks that he's maybe too old for this. So he's, he's really got to show him up. Right. So when they get into this kind of first training thing, and it was very, again, very reminiscent to the original top gun when Michael Ironside, he, he might be Merlin actually, or no, he's Jester. Jester, they're right. playing yeah the the dogfight game right and if you get yep. in the sights you're dead um yep so he's kind of he's kind of giving that to them and you know they make a hundred push-up wager if they get him then he'll have to do a hundred if he gets them they'll do a hundred and man he smokes all these guys like nothing right i mean he's doing all the old moves like the the break in and and fall back and he's they're doing just really crazy aerial work and i do have to say this Whatever we say about the script, the acting, whatever. <laughs> you got to go see this film to see this aerial footage that they assembled for this film and see it on the yeah, biggest screen definitely. you possibly can. Yep. It's, you're like in the cockpit. It's remarkable. I haven't seen stuff like this in a really long time. Uh, it, it looks amazing. It's if, if you suffer from vertigo, this is probably going to give you the fits, but this is this is cool. This, this was my big takeaway from the film. The action is done in such an impeccable way. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I wanted to say about that. That's, that's talent, Jesse. Like that's Tom Cruise actually really flying, did his own stuff, has his pilot's license. He's actually capable of pulling this stuff off. Mm-hmm. God knows how many hours went into train that. And I, you just to train to be able to not just do that, but then shoot that and then act as you're doing it, which mm-hmm. may be, it's just your natural reaction to the G's that your body's uh, face to deal with and some of those maneuvers he pulls off. Sure. But that's like you're saying there, it's so much more relatable and so much more enjoyable than reading. And I like this other stuff too, but reading the words in some book and spinning your hands in the circular motion, all of a sudden portals and shit open up. It's just, Oh yeah. And it, it was, was really refreshing. I like I said, I like, like I'm not, I'm backing on Dr. Strange, but not for any other reason than just to make an example. Yeah. Yeah. It was really refreshing to see like actual human talent mm-hmm. showcased on the silver screen instead of pretend talent, yeah, which can also look really good too. No, you, you know, bombard you, your face with a bunch of stuff that you don't quite understand and you don't really have to. Oh yeah, you know me. This 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 is my mantra here, which is try and do it as real as possible. And it's not like the film isn't without there's CGI in it at various times, but for the most part, it's pretty authentic action done in camera. And if I could just like advocate to Hollywood and these directors to utilize the IMAX format and have that be the way that you kind of 
create a huge canvas for people to go to the movie theaters and less CGI and less 3D and other gimmicky effects. I mean, just just do it how they've been doing it for the last 80 years. But yeah, right. th- this looked incredible. Like this is is one of the the best looking movies uh, I've seen this year, and it's yeah, it's that I, the IMAX film technology looks looks great. No arguments here. I'm with you. Yeah, the fact that it's authentic is is uh, worth the ticket price alone. Yeah, that's awesome. Excellent. Uh, yeah, let's talk. So it's through all this, you know, the conflict between him and Rooster's kind of, you know, starting a little bit. They're not really talking. They don't really want to address the elephant in the room, but it's Hangman that, that figures it out, right? I mean, he sees that old Top Gun class photo from 86 and was like, oh, oh boy, this is, this was Maverick's uh, co-pilot, right? Right. And so he brings it up too and kind of a great moment. It just all, just all boils over. And it's almost kind of like a breaking point. It's almost like, uh, gosh, can I even continue this mission if these guys are really falling apart about this? I can't communicate with my student. And it's Iceman that really kind of pulls him back into it. Let's talk about this scene. You know, of We got going to Iceman's house here, and it's got a very solemn feel to it. We kind of don't know why, and we, we kind of learned that. His uh, cancer has come back, and he doesn't have long. But then when we go in there, it was like, are we going to get Kilmer in this thing? And he's in the credits. Or is it just a, like a, a flashback? Like, what are we getting from from Val Kilmer? And, yeah, it's Val Kilmer uh, as he is in his real self. Um, yep. You know, he, he had his battles with uh, with cancer, okay. and it's it's yeah. it's left him in in quite quite a state. I, I think that's probably for people that don't know that go see this movie. That might be the most shocking thing they come away with is to see Kilmer in, in his current state. And I got to recommend everyone out there too to watch that documentary called Val. It came out last year, and it's an incredibly candid look at his career and his life, and kind of like how he lives now and how he tries to communicate and. You know, I always kind of had this impression of Kilmer and he's a pain in the ass and he was hard to work with, but that kind of look into his life and how hard it's been post uh, cancer is it, it was really eye opening to me. And I think people kind of get that in this scene. What, what did you kind of think of that? I thought putting him in the movie was a must, even if it was just for a scene like they did. And I was also glad they didn't just do the text messages that we were talking about. Oh yeah. I would have, I would have been livid, <laughs> livid. But, but to let him show up on the screen as broken as he is, I think speaks to the honesty that this movie was made with. Sure. There's no tricks in this film. Mm-hmm. It's very candid and honest and forthright. Mm hmm. And as touching as it was to see Val show up and struggle through the four lines that he's able to utter, because that's the best he can do. Mm-hmm. The embrace that he gives Tom Cruise at the end. Yeah. I think was a whole lot more than characters hugging each other. I think that was Val saying to Tom, I appreciate you for doing this for me so much. Sure. Yeah, it was. That's another, that's, that's something I want to ask you about Jesse. Okay. <laughs> You know, we talk about a lot of actors on this show, and the one that we, I think, haven't talked about probably as much for the amount of film that he's done, not good or bad, just amount, mm-hmm. is Tom Cruise. Like, he's made it a little bit here and there, certainly in the Tom Cruise episode. Mm-hmm. But, man, other than that, 
you know, maybe an offhanded remark about the mummy. Um, yeah. Occasionally. He hasn't really made the show a lot. And I think that's a bit of a myth on our part. We probably talked about him more in the battlefield earth episode because it was all about Scientology. Yeah, we probably did. (laughs) And okay. And to be fair, some of that is his own doing because that part of his life is so weird and such easy, low hanging fruit to pick. But all that weird shit aside, talent perspective, just based on talent. Yeah. Is he one of the, best still going was he ever one of the best is as much as we said nicholas is like three or four part question yeah as much as we both agreed last week that nicholas cage probably isn't an oscar deserving oscar winner is tom cruise the most non-winning deserving actor like what is your what is your general take on tom cruise at this point in his career 40 50 films and however many he's made i think the most remarkable part is is the longevity of the career. Like if you go all the way back to pre top gun and that was the outsiders and all the right moves and risky business business, to go from that to 2022 and he's still like on top and he's had a bomb here or there, but it's like they have never affected his appeal uh, at the movie theater. I think they think he's a bona fide movie star. And I think, I don't know where I read this or where I, heard it from but they were just it was someone that worked on a movie with Cruz and they just said he just has an aura and like you don't know it until you're like around him and maybe that's the Scientology emanating off of him but I believe that I believe like some actors have like an it factor that like when you're around them you're like whoa I get it like I think Brando Brando had that as crazy as he was like they, yeah. they just have like a feel and they understand how to work the camera. And I truly believe that Tom Cruise likes making movies and pushing the envelope and hanging off the side of a plane and rock climbing for real. Like he, I, he likes that. And I think it was it on Jimmy Fallon or it was another thing I heard him say. He watches his goal is to watch at least one movie a day. Wow. That's like his thing is like in his trailer after he's done shooting or he wakes up in the morning and starts his day, his goals, one movie a day at least. That's awesome. So the guy loves film, right? I mean, he's not just doing it for just the money. I think to have a career this long, you got to have something and you got to, you know, have a certain presence. And I, I think he brings that. I mean, this and he just had his biggest opening and he's almost 60. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. I don't know if we're done seeing it. I think this is going to go on for maybe another 15, 20 years if he wants to. Occasionally you find something in your life that never feels like work and it doesn't become your job. It becomes your joy. Yeah. Hearing you say that his goal every day is to watch a film, which is to study the craft and just to appreciate what's been done before him and just learn and, and just be involved in the medium. Yeah. It's such a different approach than some of the tortured nonsense we hear from writers and various actors from time to time. Yeah. And that's so refreshing to see because, you know, with some of the misses, and he had, I would say in the 2000s to maybe even 16, he kind of dried up a little bit, Jesse. Like he had some, I would never say any of them were clunkers. And I don't think the mummy's as bad as everybody made it out to be. And, but there wasn't that that great role that found him in his mid forties. 
Well, and that's when a guy like him, who's had so many big movies, yeah, I think finally gets appreciated the way like a Depp or a DiCaprio or one of those kind of guys eventually just gets there just to just do because it's just time. I think he's even bigger than than those guys, even just just in presence uh, alone. I actually wanted to pull up his. Because you talked about that that period of the two thousands, and there was there were some films that came to mind, and I was like, yeah, that was kind of a miss. I guess yeah. I, I liked Minority Report, but like, uh, yeah. Lions for Lambs, he is amazing in Tropic Thunder. I, I will say that. But okay, I'll give you that. Then you have like uh, Valkyrie, that was that other Brian Singer Kill Hitler movie. You I kind of like that film, though. Yeah. No, I, I like that film. Do you remember Night and Day? That was the one with him and Cameron Diaz. It was like a spy, oh, yeah. Yeah, a spy yep. movie. Rock of Ages, yep. Jack Reacher, Oblivion, who was this director uh, Kaczynski made, Edge yep. of Tomorrow, which I, I, I liked that one. And then you had The Mummy, American Made. So th- there's some good stuff in there, but there's also, yeah, some just absolutely forgettable nonsense as well. But even some of that stuff in there that's like the myth is like, let's say, Oblivion. And I think American Made is terrific. Yeah, that one wasn't bad. None of those are that this huge slam dunk movie. Mm-hmm. Take, take like War of the Worlds. And that was a huge budget and should have been awesome and had a decent cast of Tim Robbins in there. That, that movie's not good. But even as much as that movie is not good, it still made a pretty decent amount of money too. And it's still it's still relatively entertaining. Like I never sat that film and said, "Oh my god, can this be over soon enough?" Yeah. Even when he misses, he's still entertaining. This is the point that I was trying to make. Yeah. I wonder if it's just that his charisma and how gregarious he is mm-hmm. just carries through. And if the movie's bad at least he's able to save the day. Well, yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that's so evident. And I think it was the last mission impossible fallout when whatever running scene he was doing. And I love that this film had a running scene for him. That's just almost in his contract. Right. Yep. Uh, when he, he jumps from like one building to the next and he like completely breaks his ankle on the landing and it's in the film. And, when you see the B roll of like the actual angle of it, like he didn't like stop. He like finished the shot. He like pulled himself up the building and like walked past camera to at least complete it. Right. How many actors would be like, I just broke my ankle and we need to shut down. Right. That's just the professionalism. I think he's a professional. I mean, even was it, it was the mission impossible film where, he, he was going off on the crew for, you know, not abiding by COVID protocols. I mean, like, I think this means something to him, right? Yeah. It's, it's not just a gig. It's not just a paycheck. I think he really, like you said, when you find something, a job that you thoroughly enjoy, it's not a job. Uh, I think Cruz, Cruz figured that out a long time ago. And then it made the charisma that much easier to shine through. And, and as much as the charisma is like, risky business and all the right moves and that young Tom Cruise stuff. There's a moment in this movie that I think really showcases just how capable of an actor he is. Okay. I will argue to my dying breath that his best performance in film is in Magnolia. Okay. I like Tropic mm-hmm. Thunder too. Yeah. 
but the role that he has in Magnolia and Heath plays that. Yeah, However, good. there's a moment in this that, and I've seen it twice now and I have to watch it a few more times before I can say this without reservation rivals, the hustler picnic scene that I talk about all the time. Mm-hmm. And it is that talk that he has with Kilmer. Mm-hmm. Here's why it's so impressive. It's mostly one guy doing all the talking. Yeah. And a lot of your character traits are obviously carried out by what you're able to say on screen. Kilmer in that scene, Kazansky, mm-hmm. Iceman, is pretty limited and other than an eyebrow raise or a head tilt or a point at the computer monitor. Tom Cruise has to carry his weight in that too, Jesse. Yeah. He's got to take what Kazansky is telling him, internalize it and express it for both of them. And when Kazansky points to the monitor and says, it's time to let go, Mm -hmm. it hits him like a ton of bricks. Yeah. And instantly his eyes well with tears and as a fighter pilot would do on the verge of breaking, struggles mightily to keep him back in, and he fights back, stands in tears, wells him up. But he is carrying that scene in probably the most heartfelt moment, eh, one of two, in the entire movie. For not only him, mm-hmm. but also for Kilmer, and to the larger whole, the soul of the franchise of Top Gun, because that at its core, mm-hmm. that rivalry between those two guys, it's not about fighting the bogey or hitting the brakes and they'll fly right by. It's not about any of that. Yeah. That's fun to watch. Mm-hmm. But at its core, it is usually, it's not usually, it is seen as a, ro- a romance movie that is forged through the fires of the military. That's what Top Gun is. Mm-hmm. And with that, the heartbreak goes along with Goose's death and then not finishing first in the class and da, 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 da. all that is in play right here. And he handles it. I don't want to say effortlessly because I don't know what into went into him actually looking like that on screen. Yeah. He handles it so well yeah. and so distinctly and so genuinely Yeah. to where when they hug those two times when that scene is done, God, there's like, I feel that as two men that are really like saying, thank you. I appreciate you. I love you. All of those things with only one of them really being able to talk. That's really good acting. Mm -hmm. Really good acting. Yeah. No, I I think, I think, yeah, I think he is a good actor too, on top of all that charisma. And that, I guess that scene too also kind of reminds me a little bit of like him and Tom Skerritt in the original and really kind of trying to, I mean, the whole kind of crux of that first one too is like, he's in his father's shadow a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. And trying to kind of get out of that, but also, you know, kind of the whole tragic nature of that. And it's, it's kind of Tom Skerritt that kind of bumps him out of it as well. Much like Iceman in this film is able to kind of get him over that hurdle. Right. I mean, that barrier that's yeah. stopping them from really being truly great. And yeah. I, okay, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to love this. So the immediate, like, uh, response to this is okay. We gotta we gotta become a team. And Sans uh, Kenny Loggins music that I felt was missing from this, we get essentially the volleyball scene, but it's beachside football. And I gotta tell you, I'm kind of curious to play this, Matt. Maybe we're gonna have to put a game together, offense yeah. and defense at the same time. Like that sounds uh, absurd, but it sounds kind of fun yeah. too. It, it does. Mm-hmm. Dogfighter football, where you 
two teams play at the same time. Each one of them has a football offense and defense together. Yeah, crazy. Mm. And it's team bonding. It's like, yeah, let's get out. Let's look glistening in the sun. Let's just do it. And I was just like, the second it happened, it, it brought a smile to my face because that, that scene in the original is one of the most ridiculous scenes of all time that I absolutely love. Yep. Okay, good. But with you. yeah, we're kind of we're kind of on, on on a good path here. And there's a few other speed bumps along the way. Um uh Phoenix and Bob, you know, in one of their ascents, uh they kind of stall out a bit and they, they almost die. They mean they have to eject from from their car or their car, their their jet. And yep. so, you know, it's looking pretty grim. You know, John Ham's on on Maverick's ass is like, you know what, I'm ta- I'm taking over this this operation. And we get to like I think maybe my favorite scene of the of the film here, which is he's still being told you're wrong for this. We got to let you go. You're done, Maverick. Like your methods aren't going to work anymore. And that little piece of Pete Mitchell that's like, well, I'm going to show you one more thing before I head out. Right? I mean, this is the opening scene of the film, and then it's this moment. They're there in the the classroom, and then all of a sudden the the radar beeps start start going, and yeah. it's Maverick, and he's doing this canyon, uh, the trench run, and he was going to show them how to beat it in half their target time, right? I think the target time yep. was like five minutes, and he's like put like two minutes, fifteen seconds on, and man, he just tears through this thing, right? I mean, this is peak Pete Mitchell aviation skill. And I love how engrossed everyone is watching it. It's almost like the teachers won over the students at that point. Yeah. And they're just on the edge of their seat. They're like almost biting their nails. They're like, is he going to do it? What's he going to do? And he shows them. I mean, I think he even has a couple seconds to spare, right? Uh, he goes yeah. in and does this thing and it, it filmed immaculately. It looks incredible. Yeah. He does it and he shows them. Uh, yeah, it can be done. It, it's a truly triumphant moment of proving your worth, proving your medal and showing that you still belong to be part of the conversation. Right. What, what did you think of this? Yeah. Proving to the team that you, it can be done. If you go, it can be done. Mm-hmm. So it's that great moment where you have your second act reversal and everything is, has gone to hell. Everything you've worked for has gone up in smoke. Yeah. Not only is he not teaching a top gun anymore, but he's been grounded, essentially kicked out of the military, and has nowhere to go. And Iceman died so, too. And oh, well, there goes that too. And Iceman has passed away. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like literally on the same day. Yep. He gets the orders on Iceman's funeral, and then he uh, gets kicked out too as well. So it's tough. This is one part where I think Penny is an important character mm-hmm. because she kind of gives him the pep talk, which is, you know, if you lost your wingman up there, what would you do? And in win one for the Gipper top gun language, (laughs) she kind of kicks him in the pants and says, you got to get back out there. Sure. Yeah. And what's the best way for Maverick to do that? Not in front of the class at the podium, not explaining this. I'm just going to do it. (laughs) Yeah. In the cockpit again, showcasing what he's really good at. Mm -hmm. And he rips that course apart. Yeah. It's, it's so cool. Yeah. It's, it's a great moment triumphant moment as the character returns and then has to have a conversation with John Hamm. One of John Hamm's better moments too. Again, you know, you have just put me in a really tough position. Yeah. Do I risk the lives of my students or do I risk my career? 
and we kind of get that John Hamm is basically saying, I'm going to let you back in and you better not screw up this time, which how many times, Jesse, you think Maverick has been told that in his career oh, in the Navy? Hundreds. <laughs> but this time, you know what's different this time? He's got the lives of a bunch of kids yeah. dependent upon mm-hmm. So he's coming that back. That sounds like tacky, sentimental crap. How does that work into a movie? Like, yeah, I don't want to see that. Yeah. yeah. But because the kids are so brash and arrogant and talented themselves, it's not like I've got the little girl in tow, which kind of is one of the things I'm struggling with Obi-Wan Kenobi right now. I'm not sure how I'm going to feel about that series, but yeah, hopefully um, that's, I don't think it will be, but hopefully that's not what completely defines that, that show. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, it's family. Mm-hmm. And to back that up even well, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but there's a really important thing that I noticed in the dialogue between him and his rooster coming up. So should we get to it? Get yeah. to the yeah the final the final, the final mission here. So yeah, starts yeah. on the aircraft carrier, classic Top Gun. You know, we got to launch off here. So it's yeah, Mavericks. Oh, so so he comes back. You're not coming back as instructor. You're coming back as team leader. So he's part of the mission now. Team yeah. leader. His wingman is going to be Rooster. His other side is going to be Phoenix and Bob, and then the other backup is uh, Coyote, Coyote and Payback or Payback. Fanboy. Fanboy, yeah, Coyote and Fanboy, that's right. Yeah, and so yeah, they grounded Hangman because he kind of proved that like he he'll he'll leave them out to dry, and they, you know they kind of give him his moment too, where he kind of proves them wrong as well. Yep. But yeah, it's the final mission and yeah, undescript country, island, mountainous range, wherever we're at. Kind of felt like Russia though. <laughs> yeah. Um, or some just uh the Nepal Himalayan mountain range. But very cold, yeah. Yeah, they come in here and then once they hit that trench run, it's it's on. So it's full speed ahead and you know they're dipping and diving and this just looks it looks just as good as the the other aerial footage it it looks nice because it's snowy and they're going through bridges and it's really great and you know rooster's kind of having like second thoughts at this point he's like kind of clamming up and i think the weight of all his expectations too right i mean we failed to mention we'll bring it up here now that like maverick held him back or withdrew his uh naval academy application right yep and good with good intentions, and you know that's the one thing that always frustrates me with these types of stories is the person never knows that like they're being held back for something that like in respect of your mother and your father, this is the best path forward for you. Like they never see it that yeah. way, right? It's always you're trying to screw no. me or hold me back, right? Yeah. So there's that weight over them on top of Goose's death, but. He, it looks like he's climbing up too, and he kind of needs his little moment too, where he's he says, doesn't he say, talk talk to me? Yeah. So this is exactly the point I was just talking about. Right. This is that moment. Yeah. He's falling behind, so they have a certain amount of time they have to make it in, and Rooster is flying super conservatively and losing massive amount of of footage or ground, not only to close on the target before the enemy fighters arrive, but also to provide support and the other missile to finish off the job should they get the first missile to blow off the cover of the um, air conditioner ductor, whatever the hell it is. Yeah. So the ghost of, the ghost of conservatism insofar as flying come back to haunt, 
haunt rooster, which has been a story for him the whole time. Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. says what you just said, talk to me, dad. And who immediately starts talking to him? Yeah. Maverick. Yeah. Maverick. Mm-hmm. And you get that part where, oh, shit. I'm going to forgive Tom Cruise for holding your papers back and not letting you get into flight school when you wanted blah, 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 because he was doing what your dad would have wanted if your dad were still here, knowing how great these risks were. Yeah. I was in the best capable way I knew how playing the part of your father. Mm -hmm. And there is not a seamless beat that happens in between talk to me dad and Maverick comes in with the come on rooster re-engage re-engage and I don't know if he can hear it mm-hmm. or if it's done telekinetically ha 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 or if it's just the idea yeah it's almost it's almost so it's almost like borderline so on the nose of like that kind of conversation that it's it's genius right right and it's basically stop thinking and start reacting which is the argument that Maverick gives Rooster for why he pulled his commission papers four years, blah, 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 whenever that happened, because you think too much. And once you start thinking up there, you're dead. So a lot's happening right now, Mm -hmm. recognizing the attention to the paternal figure, quelling some of the demons and some of the old, old problems that existed between the two of them. And then bringing up this other thing, which is going to play really big in just a few minutes. Yeah. And that it's not the, it's not the, the machine it's the pilot Mm -hmm. or is what you're thinking preventing you from being all that you can be as a pilot. And Miles Teller is going to give him that same advice here in a few minutes, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's good. It's, it's, it's frustrating too, though, because it was like, ah, you waited till this moment now to squash your beefs. I mean, (laughs) right in the middle of this crucial and we're on the time crunch. You're right. I mean, like we're like wasting time (laughs) while we're doing this. But yep. they, they had that moment. I was like, they couldn't have done that back on the aircraft carrier, but uh, it wouldn't be drama then, right? <laughs> it wouldn't be drama. Where's the, where's the drama at? But yeah, we finally get to it. And it's this crazy maneuver. I mean, they got to like go up and over this mountain and then like a deep dive into it, blow the air conditioner cover off, and then the <laughs> next team blows uh, the missile into, into the slot. Um, yeah. yeah, this looks great. This is pretty great. And Tom Cruise, uh, his wing is successful. They're able to target it and perfect direct hit. And then you have the second wing with Rooster and Coyote in them. The targeting systems malfunction. And I was like, of course it was going to malfunction right now. Um, of but, course. but they're able to get it in, direct hit, blow this uranium plant. Uh, yeah, uh, up in up in this mountain and now it's the escape, right? I mean, now they, they, they're going to put themselves in enemies' uh, viewpoints. Um, they also blew up their airfield with some other um, other other missiles. Tomahawk missiles. Yeah. yeah. And so now it's just a race against time. I mean, they just got to use their prowess as fighter pilots to evade these surface-to-air missiles. And, yeah, this is great. I mean, they're, they're launching flares to help ignite those missiles before it hits them. And they're dipping and diving all over these mountains and trying to, I think, turn around to get back to the aircraft carrier at this point. But there's just, yeah. just a lot in their way at this point. And, you know, I think Maverick's biggest thing up to this point was, you know, I don't want to do this teaching with Rooster because he's not ready for this. I mean, he doesn't want to put Rooster in a position that's going to get him killed, right? Because then 
double guilt on his shoulders. Right. So, yeah, I think that this is, this is an, I think, another really, really big moment, too, where, you know, Rooster's all out of uh, Flair. flares. And, yeah, he's got he's got a missile, like, right on his ass, and it's going to kill him. And Maverick does, like, his uh, <laughs> patented move where he, like, air breaks and then, like, gets in front of it and then launches his flares, like, right in the nick of time. But, like, one clips him and he's out. I mean, it, 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 it takes him down. And, yeah. But gives gives the uh, other people you know some time to to get away, and so at this point I was thinking I was like what what's going to happen now I was like this Act Four <laughs> what are we doing <laughs> what, what, yeah, uh, I, I I was kind of I was kind of already I was like oh mission success let's get back to the aircraft carrier we'll fight some planes on the way I didn't anticipate where this was go- was going to go but turn into Tom Cruise behind enemy lines and kind of get a uh kind of a moment too where we kind of think maverick might be dead but this hind d harrier helicopter whatever shows up and it's starting to kill him and it's rooster that comes in here at the end of the day and of course he crashes his plane too or they shoot someone shoots him down yeah and i'm like oh gosh this is this is getting even worse here it's just like now we got two people down behind enemy lines. Essentially, if they're caught, they're going to get killed or tortured and killed. <laughs> to to yeah. take take your pick, take your order. Um, but now you know we got to get out of here. What would you kind of think of this? I'm calling it Act Four because this kind of seems like a, an additional part to our story structure here. I agree with you. It makes me wonder if that's one of the additions that that third screenwriter added to the story. Could have been. Because after he intercepts the missile that's going to take down Rooster, it kind of feels like it's return to base, high five, we lament the loss of this great man, and we carry on with the legacy, blah, 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 blah. But I thought the same thing. I'm like, shit, he really, they really killed him. I can't believe they did it. Mm-hmm. No, I would argue that you get what maybe an equally good action sequence right after this, and that's the two of them behind enemy lines, stealing an F-14 Tomcat, yeah. which is like a jet from the 70s, <laughs> yeah, to try to outrun these Generation 5, and that's Generation like 2 or 3, yeah, self-operational, you know, amazing, amazing F-whatever-the-hell-they-are's, with no weapon, no nav system, no radar, <laughs> no communication. Yeah, it's yeah. They're like in the Stone Ages compared to these other other planes. I do have to say and this. Trying, yeah, yeah. It's just I like. He asked me, I like it. I, 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 I'm super enthralled. I loved it. Well, I was, you know, I was kind of like, oh, geez, how are they going to get out out of this? And I do got to say, this was a nearly kind of jump the shark moment for me. I mean, they they blew the hell out of this airfield, and yeah. th- they come out of the woods here, and I was like. At least this hangar was the one hangar that wasn't destroyed that has a, a plane that Tom Cruise knows how to fly. I was like, yeah, I, was, right. I was like, there's a little stretching the kind of the veil, of, the suspension of disbelief a little bit, but I, I went with it. I was, I was like, because we got to get out of here because I don't want this to turn into Midnight Express or something like that. I was like, this is still Top Gun, right? So, yeah. Uh, uh, so, 
yeah, they fuel up this plane. They got to get out of here. And I kind of just like the little that, you know, they're trying to pretend that they're a part of this army. And even in the air, they're like doing gobbledygook hand signs. They don't know what they're doing and they're about to get shot down. So yeah, it's the final prowess of Pete Mitchell to get them out of here because he can't, we can't die now. We have a chance. I can't let Rooster go out like this. And this is the equivalent I, of like a Yugo trying to outrun a Tesla. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, mm-hmm. there's no shot. Yeah. So it's, they, they kind of, there's no like flight mode. It's fight. It's let's see if we can kill these planes. That way we can at least get out of here. Cause we can't outrun them. Right. And I got really nervous. I was when, uh, he says, when I tell you, you pull that ejection thing and he goes to pull it and it like won't give. And I was like, uh Oh, here we go again. <laughs> yep. Yep. I was like, this looks too familiar. So yeah, with, he, he's able to dispose of the one and then, you know, runs out of missiles and tries to gun down the other. And, you know, they're so close. It seems like they're like over the ocean. I was like, where's that carrier or just something. And they're out. I mean, he's got them locked in, the, in their sights. So the, I think the the move is to just descend and see if we can just kind of get get out of the range or lose them in the sun, which is kind of a move he did with Hangman earlier. Yeah. And then yeah, at the kind of eleventh hour, it's looking bad. And yeah, Hangman, who was grounded, I think got clearance uh, to to go in and and assist. And I think it's a good moment for him too, because you know it shows that he he doesn't leave his pilots hanging when it when it really matters. Right. cocky as hell right i mean he's he's essentially prototype iceman 2.0 but uh i think proves his worth as well in this scene and i was like oh, thankfully you know, like <laughs> we didn't lose the goose's son because oh maverick will just have to just he just have to kill himself after that how could he go on <laughs> well and redeems hangman too hangman coming back to have the final shot that saves day there saves that character as well and you get a nice wrap up where I guess everybody's safe gross yeah but everybody's safe and liked or in a good place with the viewer at the end of the film that's hard to do that's really hard to do I mean there's some nice just kind of you know wrapping up the all the little pieces and everyone's celebrating on the on the carrier and yeah they don't have landing gear so it's an even rougher landing but you know I really like this this the other thing too I have to bring up in in this this dogfight scene that's happening with these new fifth generation fighters. One of the bad guy pilots pulls off the most amazing move in the air that's ever been done. And it's like kills one engine inverts tumbles and turns his wings sideways to barely miss the missile. Oh yeah. That Tom Cruise or that uh, Maverick and, and rooster fired and whatever move that is. So imagine like going straight and then nose up, right wing down and then kind of like flip the plane 180 degrees. Yeah. It's awesome. And yeah. then ignites and keeps on going like that. I thought that was a big moment too. Cause if there was ever a point when Avery Maverick said, yeah, the skills are kind of moving on a little bit here. Um, that was it. And you realize, God, they're up against it, man. If that guy's pulling off that move in that machine, mm-hmm. he's as good a pilot as, as Maverick ever was, and he's got better equipment too. I think it's a really cool moment because it raises the stakes, and that's amazing flying, Jesse. Amazing. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this is a good moment. The only thing missing from this that would have like amped me into like the next, the next generation would have been, oh man, if like they had started playing the danger zone in this thing, I, I would have lost it. I would have just, I would have been on like cloud nine at that point, just to, 
just to amp it up a little bit more, but it it's, doesn't take away from it. It's that's just a, a Jesse want. Uh, it's a very exciting yeah. sequence. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we we land here. We kind of wrap up everything, and I, I like the kind of final send off with Goose and Goose. See what I'm doing there? Rooster, Rooster and and Maverick yeah. and says you know thank you and this and that and it looks like yeah we buried the hatchet and everything's good and he's like thank you for saving my life back there and he's like it's what my dad would have done and it's it's a nice touching heartfelt moment that i think seals the deal that these two are good now and i think that's the goal of the film right jennifer connelly whatever Iceman, that's great i needed this more than anything right yeah yeah I yeah. think that, that that's the biggest takeaway I think from the original Top Gun is I think the way Goose is disposed. I mean, it's a horrible death and it's a real downer moment in that film that's kind of light and fun and romantic. And then out of nowhere, that moment happens and it defined this character for the next 34 years, I imagine. So yeah. I needed yeah. this. This was the catharsis at the end of top gun maverick that i really needed and the film delivered it perfectly me too but we have uh what is this act five now of <laughs> we have one last epilogue scene because we got to bring we got we got to bring we set up jennifer Connolly. we got to bring her back and i kind of thought for a moment i don't know what you thought i kind of thought she skipped town when she wasn't at the bar i did too oh, i was like oh man that's kind of that's kind of brutal yeah <laughs> turn an old maverick into peter parker huh Exactly. Bad luck, bad luck, bad luck. Um, we didn't talk about the, you know, the, their romantic pursuits and, and whatnot. And, you know, they go on a date and when they do seal the deal, you know, she's like, I need to set a good example for my daughter and I can't be bringing men home after the first date. So you need to go out the trellis. I thought this was a good moment. It was, it was almost paced almost oddly, but it, it worked really well because like he jumps out the window and he gets up and who's he looking right in the eyes, but the daughter in the kitchen. Right. Yeah. And so of course the audience, ah, ha, 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 ha. and then like instantly it like goes to like grim somberness when she says, just don't break her heart again. And you're like, Oh God, exactly. <laughs> my heartstrings. <laughs> Yep. It's almost like they didn't give enough room in between that to have the audience stop laughing. It's like they hit him too hard with that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that, there it is, master masterfully done. Exactly. Yeah, I think I think that that moment works really well. So yeah, we got to bring her back into the fold, and they're going to have whatever future here, and everything looks pretty good. But you know, the kind of capper to this was the the pictures with Brewster and Maverick, and then Goose and Maverick, and they're like nearly identical, right? Yeah. yeah, and so they're there, and whatever Maverick has this trophy case or m- memorabilia station in his hangar. Is he living in this hangar? I imagine he is. Yeah, I think so. But that's it. That's the end of Top Gun Maverick. The sounds of Lady Gaga, whatever new song she wrote, plays us out to, to the parking lot here. Yep. I think we like Lady Gaga, but I could have also used a, a callback to Mighty Wings by Cheap Trick here at the end of this thing. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Yeah. yeah, that would have been awesome. Totally. That's that's just that's really intense song. So, you know, they went for a more like kind of heartfelt love thing. I'm okay with it. It's just another Jesse want in the, the final <laughs> stages of this film. I mean, the film went all in with a lot of this nostalgia. They could have given me a little bit more. 
Okay, that's fair. Um, but yeah, that's the end of Top Gun Maverick. It's you know it's very impressively made film, and um, let's wrap this up with just a couple questions. Matt, what's your favorite okay. tasting note of Top Gun Maverick? Uh, the final fight in the air uh, when they have destroyed the uranium site and that next 20 minutes of just straight action that takes us out. Um, that's a lot. So it's not a moment, but that, that I guess that's fourth to fifth act mm-hmm. are just done so well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's great action. Right. Yeah. We love chases and what's cooler than car chases, plane chases. Yeah. Plane chases. Not, bl- yeah. <laughs> not, not, not uh, blimp chases. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, mine was the his uh, proving test run uh, there for the the students. I really That's like cool. scenes. I don't even know what we would call this, but it's like the proving moment or the moment of overcoming huge adversity. So, like Rocky ascending the steps at the Philadelphia yeah. Art Museum is like that moment, right? He's made it. He's passed. However yeah. hard this is going to be. Now he's ready for the final test. It's yeah. uh, Bruce Wayne in Dark Knight Rises in the pit, right? He's got to get out of that yep. pit. And yep. once he's there, now the ne- the final test arises. It, there's a lot of other movies that I really like that that do it really well, but that was this film's version. And yeah, it was, it's a great sequence. Love it. What's the... Oh my God! Moment of Top Gun Maverick. One we didn't talk about, I actually think it's, I think it's Coyote is the one that when he pulls enough G's mm, yeah. out of that, that he passes out and almost dies. And his plane is just tumbling to earth. And I think, um, through what's a really ingenious moment, Maverick gets his gun set on him, which causes the internal alarm system to sound, which then snaps him out of whatever, I don't know, unconscious state he's in mm-hmm. just in the nick of time before, he crashes into the earth. I think he pulls up with less than 700 feet or something like that, just in the nick of time. Yeah. Like and I thought, oh my God, they're really going to do this again. They're really, they're, which I was like, this, this kid's toast. Mm-hmm. And I thought, in my mind, I thought, okay, this is going to be the moment. Cause you know, he's going to get kicked out of Top Gun and have to come back. Like we just know that, right? Cause and, Top Gun. And I kind of thought that that story and we've written enough scripts to know like he's going to get booted. Here it is. And I kind of thought they're going to blame him for this. Yeah, go ahead. I kind of thought that too, because you know, in the trailers that give everything away, there's an obvious funeral sequence taking place. So I'm like, yep. someone's dying, but yeah, I'd never thought it was going to be Iceman. So I, I'm with you. I was kind of, I was like, yeah, I think they're going to go there. I, I kind of thought that too with uh, Phoenix and Bob, right? I was like, oh, man, they might be toast too. So I thought with the, yeah, Phoenix and Bob too as well. But I thought with the, is that, that guy's name is Coyote, right? Mm-hmm. Coyote. Yep. He's kind of nondescript enough to matter, but yet disposable. I thought, oh my God, this poor kid's toast. They're going to kill this kid. He's get done. I really thought they were going to get it. So yeah, that was my, oh my God moment. Good one. Oh, let's see. The oh my god, you know, usually it's just it 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 hits me right away. You know, it might be when he he swoops in to to save Rooster there with the flares, and then yeah. they shot him out. And I was like, "Where are we going with this? Are we are we really yeah. killing Pete Mitchell in, in this thing? We've done such work to." redeem him and you know what that would have been fitting for him right i mean the ultimate sure. sacrifice i would have i think i would have went with that yep but i was like wow i was like well, this is 
not only do we have to fix that now, but did they really just kill him? And there was a moment I was like, well, maybe they did. And yeah, it's the stakes. I mean, if the film didn't want to have some stakes, that's certainly taking it up a notch. But yeah, yeah that was a moment of palpable tension for, for myself. Who's the master distiller on Top Gun Maverick? Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. His yeah. vehicle, obviously, uh, better this time around as Pete Mitchell than he was the first time. Yeah. Um, I love to see a character that's in a little bit aged state find the magic that uh, we've been searching for with them. Much kind of like Stallone and Rocky. Yeah, after it's all said and done, what did you grow up to be, and you get what you get in the latter iterations with the Creed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this was similar to that, but it's Tom Cruise. He's handled this movie and this character expertly well. Yeah, me too. Me, me, me too. Yeah, this is his vehicle. Yeah. This is his everything. This was yeah. this was the film, the original that like made him a superstar, right? I mean, it made him a heartthrob, a a list star, like instantly. Everything before that yep. was like fairly indie or just small releases and Top Gun. When you're in the biggest movie of 1986, yeah, people are going to notice. So, yeah, this is is his vehicle. So I think he had a lot of say in how this was going to be shaped and formed. Um, But, yeah, he's really great in it. I'm I'm with you. I like like seeing the evolution and maturity of these iconic characters. And when they do get older, like, you know, how are we treating that? How are we addressing that? Are we just completely ignoring that, like – that they've been the same or this or like we really doing some interesting things with them in the, in the, the time span. So yeah, I thought this, I thought this did that really well. I have just a hypothetical for you. You know, we talked about Tony Scott when we did the original and Tony Scott, you know, you know, got diagnosed with cancer and said, I ain't dealing with that and killed himself. Mm -hmm. Um, If Tony Scott was still alive, do you think they got to be, given him first offer of this thing, right? You would think, yeah. yes. I mean, just kind of being part of like that whole Jerry Bruckheimer thing. Like, mm-hmm. like I kind of thought that too. That was another just thing I was missing was just kind of that Tony Scott flair. Like I was like, I needed some more orange sunsets or just cascading <laughs> sweeping shots. Yeah. Um, I did miss him. I did miss about. his, his style a little bit, but yeah, I, I think they would have like, Tony, you want to crack at this? And maybe he would have said no, or maybe he was like, yeah, I've been waiting to do this for a long time. We'll never yep. know. RIP to, to that man. Yep. How are you going to rate and grade Top Gun Maverick? Rock gut, well, call single barrel or top shelf? Top shelf. I hope that the rest of the summer movie-making populace goes to school on this again. Mm-hmm. This movie, I think, laid a foundation out for how you can take the summer movie and make it good again. Four quadrant tentpole doesn't have to be formulaic cookie cutter. Mm -hmm. I feel like this movie is what I used to wait all summer for for the duration of my life up to like the last about three and a half to four years. Mm -hmm. Like it really kind of just started to go downhill. Um Oh, the, yeah, what was, was yeah, that? I was going to say, what, with the, what was the, that one awful summer? Godzilla summer with the, with the Mutu. What the hell was that? Uh, that, that 2014? 2014. There you go. Oh, yeah, what a so disastrous year. <laughs> I remember 
and we even talked about it. I remember saying, man, I just feel like this summer slate of films were all just so contrived and just kind of shitty. Now there's been a few good ones here and there. Don't get me wrong. They're not all like that. Yeah. For, yeah. But, but for every Mad Max Fury Road, there's like 10 ones that are just like ugh, slogs. Right. That doesn't mean that there's a formula that this movie lays out. It's just, I think that they kept it original and they, it laid out a foundation that said you can make a four quadrant tentpole film without having to be so on the nose as to have X plus B equals C romance, yeah. X plus B mm-hmm. equals C twist. Like you can just craft a really good story. And if it's, if it's built well, it will just naturally work. Mm-hmm. So th- this is not going to go down in the annals of amazing cinematic masterpieces. This is way more entertainment than it is film smart. Sure. Yeah. But I got to be honest with you done creatively done intelligently and done authentically. I missed that, Jesse. I missed just going through the summer movies. And I got to tell you, so we saw it again today. It was better the second time than it was the first time. Yeah. That's what I'm looking forward to is revisiting it. And yeah, it's a crowd pleaser and yeah, it's a smartly put together crowd pleaser. I mean, you know, not every movie, like, like we did Mandy last week. Mandy's an experience. Mandy's a dark movie. Mandy's a crazy movie. I don't want to, I like those type of movies, but I, you know, I have to mix it up too. I'm okay with just yep. some crazy action filled romp that has some heart. And you know, that, that, that feels about right right now. Like that we, we need more of that unless this is still, I guess, kind of an IP because it is a sequel, but we need more kind of like creativity. That's this direction. Uh, yeah. I'm not giving you a rating, I suppose, but I'm going to go a uh, single barrel on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I gave the original Top Gun single barrel as well. And, you know, I thought a lot about this. Maybe it, that was, you know, you know, foreshadowed for, for, for that review. But I think the sequel perfectly sets up this film masterfully. And I think this film complements the original masterfully. Yeah. They, they work in a tandem. It's it's kind of crazy. Like, I'm, I'm kind of curious to go back and watch the original and then watch the the new one again. Just to kind of see the parallels, both plot, character, the callback moments, and just kind of see how kind of seamless it all felt watching this one. Um, because it's been 35 years since the original also, mm-hmm. I think we are allowed as the audience to recognize that there's been a lot of tread on the tires between now and then that doesn't need to be explained, Yeah, but has cast these characters in the light that we see them in. Mm-hmm. I am grateful that this movie was done now and not three years after the original. Because back then it was like three years from no, yeah, know, I think photography to get it to the screens. Yeah, I it think did. It, the thirty-six years were a long time, Jesse. I but think it, it served the franchise really well. I think it helped it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think the yeah. the time not spent making it, you know, just allowed the original to age as it did and made this an enjoyable watch. Now I got to tell yep. you. Hollywood has to be careful now because this movie made some some cash. Yep. You know they're like, oh man, what other old franchise that hasn't had a sequel in 30 years can we bring out from the crypt? They got to be careful because I don't think, I think Top Gun was an exception exception to the rule. They can't just pull out some willy-nilly franchise that's been dead as dead and try and do the same thing because then we're going to get a bunch of really bad trying too hard to make a sequel to something that we don't need at all. 
Well, the good news is, is most of them have explored it or at least done a yeah. sequel. So yeah. we don't have to worry about the other action vehicles, the lethal weapons and the diehards of the world have been, have been hammered to pieces. Mad Max is pretty much finished off yeah. so far as that goes. But I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll do it. I'm sure they'll do it. I'm sure that they're already having those conversations of like, oh man, can we get that person back? Can we get this? Can we, what do you think about that? And I'm just ready for the onslaught of just very average garbage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I hope so too. But I guess legacy sequel is the, the name of the game for, the summer release season right now, because next week we're going to come right back at you full throttle with another quote unquote legacy sequel slash sixth film in a franchise slash second sequel to the rebooted franchise. Matt, this is going to be a wild conversation. We're going to do Jurassic world dominion, uh, bringing back the old players, Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum from the original uh, classic Jurassic Park film from 1993 into a franchise that I'll be honest with you right now, I have hated the prior two Jurassic World entries. So yeah, yeah. What, yeah. Are, what are we setting ourselves up for this one? But I got to tell you, I, I had to go snag up some tickets to go see this thing because I think this thing is two weeks out the showtimes were nearly sold out for this whole thing. This thing is going to be gigantic. So there's people want it. <laughs> well, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't even looked into tickets yet, but we'll see it. It's could be, Oh, this could be a monumental disaster if they're not careful. All right. I do have to share this with you though. Cause yeah. this has been another thing that's been driving me nuts about movies lately. The runtime of Jurassic world dominion. Two hours and 40 minutes. It's uh, a lot of movie. That's too much movie. The original yeah. Jurassic Park was two hours and six or two hours and five minutes. Like, are you kidding me? Two hours and 40 minutes? It's a lot of dinosaurs walking around, man. I know, right? So we'll, we'll see. Maybe we'll be thoroughly surprised and we'll just be blatantly honest. Like, this is a good movie. Or if it's shit, <laughs> we'll be blatantly honest that the movie is shit. but excellent thank you matt thank you for 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 hopping on there you can switch back from um back to missiles from guns go land on that aircraft carrier this is one thought i had uh just so nonsensical when these fighter pilots in real life go and maybe do a mission like this and come back and it's a success and everyone's cheering on the deck as they do i imagine (laughs) Yeah. Are those pilots just getting hammered that night? Is it just like a party on deck? Gotta be. Has to be. <laughs> That's what I thought. I was like, you just risked life and limb. I was like, there's some people getting annihilated on that ship tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. I was like, yeah, that's those are the scenes I want to see. But yeah. <laughs> but thank you. Uh have a good time uh on your vacation. I will see you back here next week as we tackle some dinos. Cheers to you and your your glass over there. But Cheers. I got to get going. I'm going to go start writing up uh, some rules for this uh, offense, defense, renegade football, whatever. <laughs> what was it called? Uh, Dogfight football. Yeah. Damn it. We're, we're, we're going to play that maybe for Thanksgiving. Sounds good. I'll bring the, I'll bring the uh, Mike Marks playbook because I think that would be perfect for this. Excellent. Bring the, the show on the beach. Bring the suntan oil too. We got to be glistening for this. 
Not baby oil, suntan oil. Baby oh. oil is 286. <laughs> okay, excellent. We'll see you all next <laughs> week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Top Gun Maverick is property of Paramount Pictures, Skydance Media, and Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer Films. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.